Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Well, you know, we're well into June right now, and, you know, all the spring turkey season are closed, and obviously the elk and the deer season in fall are still several months off. So, you know, there, there are not a lot of opportunities to get out uh, if you're an avid bow hunter and you love to hunt year round. There is one big exception, and that's hunting wild hogs, which can be found obviously in a number of uh, places um, throughout the country. A number of states have wild hog populations, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, California, all come to my mind quickly. So, uh, but I am super excited. Um, we have an incredibly special guest today. I'm joined by Brian, big man Quaka. Brian, how are you? What's up, man? How you doing, buddy? Uh, absolutely groovy. Thank you for joining us. I know you're busy. And, uh, you know, Brian, you're obviously one of the best known or most well-known personalities in the hunting industry. Um, and you've been doing this a long time, but let's back way, way up. How did you get started in hunting when you were young? What got you started? Uh, man, to be honest with you, um, that's, uh, that's the way I was raised and my cousins and family before me. Uh, that's before I was ever a pig man, 49 years ago, uh, my family has hunted, uh, their entire life. That's what we back to my great grandfather and probably even beyond, but that's just as far back as I remember. Uh, yeah, picture, uh, holding my mom, uh, when she was about five and, uh, was like a 40 pound catfish. So not just that, but catfishing, a lot of squirrel with air rifle, uh, even back then. Uh, 22s, and then uh, I guess he would be the one that taught my uh, my mother's uncles, my grandmother's uh, brothers, how to uh, hunt and fish. And uh, man, it just like that's what we did. Um, my grandmother's brothers, one in particular, was um, into sports. You know, he was a baseball coach, uh, and until he passed four or five years ago. Man, even after all of us grew up and he watched these generations of kids come onto the ball field and he coached. And even when he wasn't able to coach, he still made every single ball game. So it was just was in, you know, I mean, it's just pressed into our brain. We had a, we had a family deer lease where we all would congregate. And a lot of times on Friday afternoon, my favorite uncle tub would come get me uh, and bail me, bust me out of school at about lunchtime make up some kind of cockamamie story and take me to the deer lease. So uh, that I started shooting deer and, and uh, you know, from a young age. And uh, actually out of the four or five boys, I was really the only one that always would go. Then uh, to wrap it up, uh, is that's where I shot my first hog. So that part of Texas, which some people would call East, it's really not in the Centerville, Texas area. That's where our family lease was. And uh, we actually didn't own properties of our own. We leased ground on us. And that's what kind of started me into the thinking, man, I can monetize this. So, but anyway, I better let you talk because I'll just talk all day. No, no, that's great. And, and this is a conversation. And obviously, uh, you have a lot of great insights that you'll be able to share going forward. But uh, so you mentioned uh, just now, as you were talking about how you got started, that at some point you shot your first hog. Uh, how did that come around? How did that love for uh, hog hunting, wild pigs develop? I'm guessing that wasn't the first thing you ever shot. No, 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 no. I had shot uh, 
I mean, I had shot multiple uh, deer. You know, uh, I started out with a Kmart single shot 410 that shot high and right. And I know uh, I'd have to, there was no fixing it. I mean, single shot, you had to, you just had to do a little Kentucky windage low and left and let her go. And I missed a couple of deer. And uh, this same uncle, uh, Tubby, which we'll get back into here in just a second. Um, my dad bought me a uh, lever action 3030. And the hell is on my screen. That's what's good about live, this live podcast, just for real. Um, so he bought me a lever action 3030, and I used that. And uh, some, we, we actually would drive around in the back, and this, the kids would be in the back of the truck in the pile of oats. And they would lay plastic down or a tarp and, pour, and go under a silo, and they'd dump all these oats in there. We'd have uncles on tractors disking and plowing and then we'd go by there and just actually uh, you know throw them by hand and then they'd sew them in and we had these long oat patches so the 3030 at some point was usually it was basically my idea at about eight to extend the length of the because i was all into this shooting and all this stuff. i read everything dude I, like i can tell you that i still have magazines on boddington and uh, larry wasoom and all these wild calibers that wasoom would shoot in a pistol like i was like fascinated by that and uh it's just it's amazing like it's it's come to fruition that now if i'm somewhere uh at a show with larry and i have a bigger crowd than him i just i don't feel like you know i, I feel like that's not right. You know, I mean, it's like those guys I watched growing up as a kid. Um, Fred Bear was like everything to me uh, coming up when I was a kid. And uh, so basically, I'm going to circle back to my first year was the Kmart 410. Uh, then I ended up with a lever action uh, Marlin 3030, which was pretty potent. I shot my first eight point with that with my dad. And it's funny because like, He's like, okay, you got him. We're sitting in this huge box stand that we built. It's probably 20 feet long, 10 foot wide. I mean, they spent two weeks building it, you know, because at eight, I had other things going on. Like, I'll be honest with you, it's something I've never told anyone before. But when that deer came onto the oak patch, I was asleep in the floor by the heater. My dad woke me up and said, he thinks I forgot stuff like that, you know. And uh, I, I'm, I'm coming up on a trip with him. Uh, our career has been my, my place in Texas and that's how my notoriety came about. And I learned how to track these digs down and kill them with a bow. And I'm going on a trip with him. And now we're to the point where he would take me on a trip, maybe, or maybe not, because I might have to stop and go to the bathroom 15 times on a 10 hour road trip. Now he's 73, he's 74 in July. And now me and my son and him will be going to Florida. And uh, I know I'm going to have to stop 10 times. And I know I had to really talk him into going because he really don't want to go. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. Just love your dad. That's my that's my tip for this whole podcast. If he's still there, uh, do that because it, it means everything to me. So anyway, now Uncle Tub had a used car lot. He was tired of the 3030. He said, hey. Called my mom. My mom was a teller at the bank. Said, bring Brian by our car dealership when you get off work. I got out there and he did a lot of subprime lending. Like he toted the note per se. And someone could not make a car payment. So they brought in a Remington 30-06 semi-auto 
uh, with a scope and two boxes of ammo. And he gave that to me. And uh, I still have that gun today. I was freaking like Superman with that thing. I could not miss. It was like the hammer because unfortunately, the, all the ammunition those people had was 180 grain soft point. And I mean, it kicked really bad, but I didn't care. Um, I shot it anyway. And <clears throat> I don't know that I ever missed with that gun. Keep in mind, the oak patches that I'm talking about, we sewed was less than 150 yards further a shot. So, yeah. but that's where I cut my teeth, man. And then with that same rifle, um, saw my first hog. I said, I told them, my dad, I said, I saw a bear. He said, boy, there ain't no bears here. I said, well, I seen something that looked like a bear. And uh, he, they, they made fun of me uh, at camp. I was probably nine either late eight or uh, early nine. And uh, I did not, that stand sucked for deer hunting. Like it was probably in the best location on the creek, but now it all makes sense to me. That was the lowest elevation of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the heaviest dense woods. And it was the only water on the property. And I, nobody ever told me back then, hunt water. Hell, all we knew is to hunt oak patches. And if you got really lucky, Somebody might buy you a bag of corn and dump a little corn out. We didn't have no feeders. None. Never did on that place. So anyway, that pig showed and he got the old 180 and didn't like it. And after that, that I think that my passion, my point is this, my passion for pigs was because I we couldn't, we wouldn't stay there for a week. We would start hunting. If we got lucky, we'd get there early enough Friday afternoon to hunt. But we start hunting Saturday morning most of the time. Saturday morning, Saturday evening, Sunday morning. And most of the time, it was about an hour drive back to our house. So the kids was young. Uh, all of the boys is plus or minus a couple years of me. And um, basically, we had to get back for school. Uh, so, or if it was uh, like Thanksgiving, we all congregated at one place. And after Thanksgiving dinner, all our moms... And grandma's put all the leftovers and we hauled it to the deer lease. And that's what we eat for two or three days. And, and we hunted. And that was always around that Thanksgiving time was the best time. But my point on that was once I seen that pig, uh, it was not just because maybe I, I wanted to shoot that pig. It went by for weeks of hunting. I set that stand probably seven or eight times. And they're like, are you going back there? And it was a pain because they have to take me all the way back there in the truck and let me out in an intersection. And I have to hike in there to that stand uh, with a flashlight. And they're like, man, he's crazy. You know, I guess I think that I think I thought they thought I was crazy. So I was going to show them that I wasn't crazy. And I seen, and of course, one of them's like, well, maybe somebody has a farm around here and it, you know, a big domestic hog got out or something like that, but I proved them wrong. Yeah, so to be obviously you, you were hooked ever since. And now yeah, do you remember that. Do you remember the first time you picked up a bow? What was that like? How, what was that feeling like? Now, obviously, you've been shooting uh, professionally for a long time now, but what was that first opportunity like when you picked up a bow? Man, I'll tell you, uh, I really can't even explain it. You know, like it's, um, I don't know. I, you know, I played baseball as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I was like, didn't have like a lot of control. 
like over where the ball exactly went when I let it go. But I can tell you this in high school in eighth grade, I could throw the ball from the center field fence over the backstop completely out of the park. So, of course, then that started my pitching career because they said, if he's got an arm like that, you know, we've got to use him for pitching. And all I remember is basically is playing uh, varsity baseball in eighth grade, pitching, and I hauled us all over the place and kept my arm in ice the whole time. I was good for about 50, and then I was blowed. But it's the same thing. I loved that once I started pitching. And I thought, boy, this is great. You know, I kind of thought maybe that's my thing. And then, dude, I've always been blown away and fascinated by guns. I am a gunsmith. I don't know if you've done any background research. I mean, that's what I do. I build guns, and I have for 25 years. And I'm not talking about parts put together an AR. I'm talking about I'm a machinist. That's what I do. So once I kind of I got, I got it sitting right in there, man. It's a golden eagle. Um, I don't even know where it come from. I just know that a buddy of mine had a driver's license and I did. And he took me to this little store and I thought, God, you know, this bow, I mean, it shouldn't be like, you know, it's like, is it this difficult? I said, I guess it's gotta be like this, you know, to actually kill an animal with. Well, I kept that bow for about a year and I, I have it now, but I'm saying until I upgraded to the next model and, um, that was my first experience actually in a bow shop. I will tell you that I bought through Bass Pro, irony, irony, I'm telling you, a bear flare was the model. My mother bought it for me. It was less than $200. It was for my birthday. I ordered it online. I had no idea what I was ordering. I had no idea how to shoot it. Nobody in my family knew anything about archery. So, in a sense, I kind of was self-taught. And then when I upgraded to this next Golden Eagle, which was a used trade-in bow, that guy never really had a lot of time to spend. He had two counters. He had a gun counter and he had an archery counter. He was the only guy. Uh, he, nobody else could touch the bows but him. And he would get so overwhelmed coming into archery season. Like, you would stand there at the bow press for two hours while he tried to sell a gun to somebody. on Or, or the phone rang, he's on the phone. So, uh, good dude. I mean, he does a hell of a business. I won't disrespect him by saying what place that was. But it taught me, because this is why. About my third time down there having issues, uh, he said, he just would laugh at me. And he's like, you, he said, you watched me enough. Why don't you uh, work on your own? So, hey, the old rope pulley uh, press. He showed me one time how to hook it up, and the rest is history, man. It, it, I mean, I know that sounds like crazy, but no, because there was there was older guys around, and they'd be like, "No, you got to do this. No, you got to do that." And then I, that's where I learned, um, and I taught myself how to work on my own bows, and ultimately, I also learned, which do not ever do this if anybody's listening to this, but I learned that sometimes you can. Pull a bow back a certain distance and maybe stick something through the cam and it'll relax the string. Uh, that's the only way I had, man. I didn't have no press. I didn't, I would have to drive an hour and a half to go to this guy's shop. So a year or so goes along. I decided, okay, friend, high school friend of mine shooting tournaments over in the Waco, Texas area, uh, in, indoor paper. 
And he said, you want to do it? I said, yeah, man, any chance to shoot my bow, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm 16. Just got my driver's license. We go in my truck. We go over there. I'm upstairs shooting my bow and did okay in the tournament. And the guy that owned the shop come over to me and there's probably a hundred shooters in there. And he's like, dude, um, what are you shooting? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, how many pounds are you shooting? I said, I like 50, 55. And that's what the guy that owned the bow shop told me. He never told me how to check the weight or nothing. So the dude says, oh, no, I'm sorry, you're not. So anyway, I'm shooting 77 pounds at 16. Did not know it. So uh, I, maybe that's how I built my muscles. Because I think a lot of times, last thing uh, for the next question is, I can pull an extremely heavy poundage bow. I don't know, like, my son, my stepson, they're, I'm sure they're way stronger than I am. But, like, big muscle-bound dudes, I'll try to pull back a 100-pound bow, and they can't, and I have no problem. Uh, pulling the bow. I mean, I I don't know if that contributed to it because I did not know early on. I just knew that, like, dude, I, I get about, like, 50 arrows. I was exhausted. And thank God uh, the guy checked it, and that's what it was. And and then then it took off from there. Then I just like, okay. Uh, he backed the bow off, and it was so much more comfortable. We downsized. Um, I was shooting, I think, like a uh, 2317 aluminum and i think he backed me down to uh like a shorter 2216 something like that at the time that was all you could get you know uh nobody could afford an acc back in the day and uh hey i taught myself how to fletch arrows believe it or not i made my own homemade little jig and uh i don't even know if i could find that thing but i was blown away when i really found out that you could buy a fletching tool it's so self-taught man and that, that's honest God truth. That's not a made, I mean, that's, that's a good sounding story, but it's, it's honest to God truth. I taught myself how to do all of it. Yeah. And, and you know, you get a great opportunity to learn when you're doing so much of that hands-on as opposed to maybe now archery shops are incredible resources and they really help shorten the learning curve, but you get to learn a lot when you're doing things hands-on. So yeah, yes, obvious. now let, let's fast forward today. What's your current bow setup that you're using? What are you hunting with as far as your bow? Your arrows, your broadhead when you're going to hogs. Well, I tell you what, you know, um, it's crazy because like when I started like getting popular, the notoriety, uh, and I'll tell you where that came from. Uh, the quest for the one was on, uh, I don't even think it was called Discovery at the time. It was some other network. I can't remember. Trevor Gowdy was on there and he had a guy on there that hunted uh, Bill. I cannot remember his name, but he was a, he was a decorated uh skeet shooter and he taught some of our uh, olympic guys anyhow he came and hunted uh i'm like man you know uh i'm killing a lot of big hogs and then like yeah people started calling and then the american archer tom nelson uh longest running uh all archery show on outdoor television tom is a very good friend of mine uh tom led me into uh the space he's like dude uh, like the knowledge you have of archery and your personality, you should do a show. Um, and I pitched the idea. His producers came down. We shot some stuff. Uh, it was originally Pigman Chronicles. Then they come back around and said, well, I don't think a pig hunting show will ever work. And then after about season three, uh, then everybody wanted to start pig hunting because they thought it was easy. But 
look, man, it's not, you know, it's just, it's who's in front. The guy that was the executive producer of Duck Dynasty told me, he's a very good friend of mine. He told me, he said, it is not the camera you shoot or what you do. It is the person that is in front of that camera. That's what carries it, period. So I, I remember he said that. And I always was very matter of fact, like right at the camera, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to Joe Blow over here and every now and then, or you catch a guy that does TV that's looking up here. You know, like, you know, people, you meet them, they're not looking you in the eye. What do you think? You're suspect of that person. So anyhow, I was shooting PSE at that time. Uh, and now today, uh, it's funny. Like, you know, I don't know that I don't know if I'm at the end, you know, I don't know. I mean, our ratings, uh, our digital platform is still smoking. We, we grow. We grew 30 percent last year. Um, but to answer your question, I started with PSE this round uh, with a brute. And it is sold at Bass Pro and Cabela's. You can see why they would want to go after me for that, because that is my sponsor. I'm very good friends with the Morrises. They treat us like family. Uh, that bow sold really well, and I love that bow. I, it will make a top three. If somebody said, you pick five, you can only shoot these five. That bow at $4.99, listen, dude, I opened it up on some stuff with that thing. I, I mean, like, if your guys are out there and they're looking for that deal, uh, go to Bass or Cabela's, your dealer, and look at that. A core series bows from PSC. Look, um, I have a Mach 1. I have a carbon bow. Okay. Um, I have, I just shipped um, Levitate to Mexico. Um, I think the things that John Dudley is, uh, does is very good, you know, for that guy, you know, and like, but I don't want people to forget Bubba, me, my guy that buys the $19 sunglasses uh, that, lives check to check and only gets to go on one trip a year. Don't spend all your money on one bow. Buy a good bow and go take that trip. Take your wife, take your kids, save that money. So currently, uh, what I've done this past year, I really got into the Evo, uh, EVL. I had the first one of them. I killed the first animal with that bow. Uh, then the Evo XFs come out with X-Force technology. They're bringing that back. It's just a touch racier cam. It's got a little bit uh, firmer back wall. I shot that this year. But prior to those two bows, uh, Lonnie at PSC said, hey, Pete, and Pete, he said, we got uh, the guys at Bass Pro wants more of a pro series, uh, a centric system and cam. Because these guys want to be able to super tune, you know, they're watching all the videos on the Evolve cam and they want to be able to like super tune that yoke harness and the way that thing self centers. You really, dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time. I love Pete Shepley. His engineers are the best alive. Like, don't get caught up in a bunch of other stuff. These people make the best bows. And I think if you really, Google and search the target world in the 3D world, you'll see that PSE is coming strong. So with that being said, the Brute ATK, I couldn't say anything about it until a little while ago because like they sent it to me and I'm like, oh yeah, man, this is like a super Brute, you know? And like, I, I just, I had one of my best years ever. I, and everything I shot was plus 40 yards for whatever that reason is. 
uh, big pigs, huge elk, a 365 bull in Oklahoma, uh, big whitetail in Kansas, big whitetail in Oklahoma, like a 158-inch eight-point in Oklahoma, 48 yards, 62 pounds. This bow is 599. That's what I'm saying. So I want to be clear. If you want a carbon bow, wonderful. I think what the collaboration between Pete and Lonnie and John Dudley and them engineers and what he was trying to uh, accomplish with a super lightweight bow with a big cam that's packing a lot of juice, what PSE has figured out in the carbon bow is what you remember the high country back in the day, probably the carbon. And it you shot it and it just like almost shatter your teeth. There's so much vibration in the handle. What PSE has figured out with this carbon riser is how to completely negate any vibration. It does not shoot like a carbon bow. The Mach 1 is one of my favorite bows. Um, but I got to tell you the truth. Out of the Evo EVL, I love. The original brute, I love. Uh, the Evo XF, this new bow that's come out, the new X-Force technology, I love. But my favorite, hands down, I'm going to tell you again, man, is the Brute ATK. It is straight up out of control. And I think if you if you went into a dealer and you picked up the EVL and you picked up the Brute ATK, take the price tags off them, shoot the bows, you're going to see what I see. And you're going to see exactly what Lonnie Workman at PSE, he runs the whole place. What he says, that is an EVL with bandit on the lips. It's a, it's a different, you know, it's, it's not a machined riser, which cuts the cost, but it don't matter. It's not, there's no hand bob shot. There's no hand shot. The bow is so easy to tune. You get the bows. When I get them from the factory, they shoot a bullet hole. And here's the thing with gas strings, I never have to touch my bows. They're hanging upstairs in my bow room. I got a huge bow room with all my tools, all my presses, and all the things. But to answer your question, Brute ATK, AAE hybrid vein, and a 2.6, uh, Prophecy AAE rest, AAE stabilizer, gas bow strings, Triad 300. I shoot an arrow that's almost 600 grains. I shoot a 585 grain arrow at 62 pounds. You don't need it anymore. I shot through a 900 pound elk. It's, it, what was it? 62 yards. Punched him right through the center. And remember, I have took over all the design of all the muzzy broadheads. Anything that's not, that you see that's the old school muzzy, that's them. Everything to date. Uh, John Severson started the Trocar HV. I changed the front blades. I fought them on that. Now that is one of the most lethal broadheads on the market. I designed and sketched on a napkin the shank. My manager is a graphic designer. He made the original broadhead to, for them to look at. And they said, oh, that ain't nothing. Uh, but I can't even remember the name of it. Whatever the hell, Swacker, that's what it is. I said, no, that ain't what we're going to make. There is these issues with that broadhead from my standpoint. And this is what I'd like to fix. And they did. And I'm going to tell you, buddy. You hit from shoulder crease to hip crease, it's dead. It's dead. That's it. You don't lose penetration. 
the the mechanical part of the broadhead. You know, people like, well, the mechanical takes all this. You remember Chuck Adams used to say how much energy it took, and then all of a sudden the light come on. Everybody thinks Chuck sold out the rage, but I don't believe that. I think he knew that that like that guy knows that dude is sharp. I asked him one time why he wore shorts and a wife beater shirt and a toboggan. I never figured that one out. I think I made him mad, and he never talked to me after that. But I thought I, I really think a lot of what he did for Bowman. And for that shift, you remember this. When he shifted, he was fixed, fixed, fixed. He would argue to the ground. And then all of a sudden, he shot that rage. And look, I am not the biggest rage fan there is. I like the jackknife style. That style of broadhead. On a pig, it is imperative that the broadhead goes through the hide and the blades go through the hide before it begins to open. If that tip goes in and that slip cam, then blades come out at the back, that broadhead is fully deployed trying to go through that shield, and it just won't do it. That's my take. If you shoot them in the heart, if, you, if, you, if you're going to shoot a big cut mechanical on pigs, shoot them dead center of the ribs, just a touch high. Dead center, two fingers high. Boom, you'll blow the lungs out every time. And you mentioned as we were talking here, you brought you brought up Muzzy and obviously one of the longest standing broadhead companies. Uh, I shoot Muzzies. I love them. How did you get started? How did that start years ago that you started getting involved in, in, in working with them on developing some of the broadheads and device and things like that? Uh, simple. Michelle Masakia Eichler. I have been friends with her longer than I've known Fred. I met them through uh, Miles Keller. Uh, Miles hunted with me in Kansas. And uh several times and he called her one day and we started talking and she started sending me broadheads from the mx4 uh she went well, you try this you try that because my thing back in the day was everybody knew i was part of the psc gorilla squad way before tv which is the guys that shot the bows over 80 pounds for whatever reason back in the day that was you know that was important to them uh i the bow that i shot same bow ray Hal shot uh, the gorilla my bow was 105 pounds. Uh, they would send, which makes sense. If you're a broadhead manufacturer, you want to send broadheads to a guy that's shooting a 650 grain arrow, 100 foot pounds of kinetic. Well, the thing about it is you don't need that now. I mean, that that's, that's in the past. That's in the past. I had to teach myself that. I went from 80 to 77 to 75 to 65 to 62. And I'm hosing everything. So, uh, that's kind of the way that come about. Michelle would send me stuff. And then once we started TV, she's like, I want to be, I want to be a part of that. And then uh, Faradine acquired uh, right in the middle of my career, Faradine acquired um, that whole muzzy thing. And so my guy was at Vista, which is, was ATK at the time. He was over sales for all of the, the ammo and all that stuff. Um, and then now he is the current CEO of Faradine. So when he went over there, he said, I need you to look at this thing and I need you to tell me what we're doing. And uh, I made some engineers mad. And listen, I mean, I don't care if you have a mechanical engineering degree uh, from MIT. Like, I, I've been doing this a long time. And not just TV kills, but outfitter, guiding, filming, thousands and thousands of arrows hitting animals. Uh, and seeing what works and what don't work. And I've been fortunate enough to be around some of the best archers that'll ever live and setting at camp in the evening uh, at a campfire going over what happened, what, you know, what, why did that not 
you know, and the old timers first thing they would say when there was not instant blood on a pig from a jackknife style broadhead is uh, it didn't open. Uh, and my argument was there's no way it couldn't open. It's, it's not possible. Do you understand? Because the pig, if the pig is like this, you shoot that pig center mass, everything down here has got to fill up with blood if there's not an in and out. And that's kind of why I've become a starch supporter of one of two things, either a big two-blade fixed or a mechanical two-blade fixed or a four-blade, like the Trocar HPD. Uh, that was my mentality for years. And then all of a sudden, the Muzzy One come around, which is the proper version of that style of broadhead. I'm not going to knock the guys at G5. I think the Montec killed lots of broadheads over the years. I think that I had issues with snapping it, but I, it, in their defense, I shot a bow with 100 foot pounds of kinetic energy in a heavy arrow, and I was putting lots of pressure on it. With the advent of this new triad arrow, have you have you seen that arrow? Have you actually actually put the components together on the arrow yourself? Uh, I have not yet. Looking forward it to doing it though. So you know what a protruded arrow is, the old outsert. The fit never was correct. That was the issue. Basically what I'm saying, you either over-sanded it and it was too much space or it was so tight going on that it squeegeed all the epoxy off and there was nothing there to hold it. So that was one of the first things that I did 20 years ago when I started doing all the machining is I ordered reamers that was the exact sizes of what I needed. Or I would chuck the arrows up and I would turn the arrow outside diameter exact so it fit all of my outserts perfectly. But what triad has done? Carbon Express. And I used to put, the, you, you know the target points for the target arrows. You put them in, you can break the little pieces off for different weights. I would get those in tungsten, break the fill point off, use the rod, glue the rod inside the arrow, and then put the outsert over that. So it's basically all of the integrity of the arrow is right at that junction where the impact, where that broadhead hits. You can't have that thing doing this. You lose all your penetration. It's got to be stiff in the front. So what they did is they made a post, metal post like this. It goes inside the arrow, and it's threaded on the end. And the inside of the outsert, it's got female threads. You glue all that, and you screw it down on there. And what that does, it makes it strong, indestructible, but the key. No one could ever align those components correct. Or guys would pull them off in the target when they're practicing. That's why that arrow went away. The small diameter, um, super dense, micro size, stiff arrow is the best arrow on the market. Um, not to knock the aluminum Eastern stuff. I mean, that paved the way for what we know today. But ev evolution, this beard has turned gray. My beard will not be blonde or brown forever. And evolution, unfortunately, hey, when me and you ever thought we'd have a conversation about an axe crossbow for Muzzy that would shoot 450 feet a second? No, because it's funny when, when, when you started talking about uh, getting into bow hunting, I had a bear bow when I started. I don't remember what the poundage was. Now I started bow hunting when I was 18. And at some point I pulled that bow back. And now we're talking 30 some years ago and it just folded. And I'm talking about the limbs. 
and how how the sport has evolved so much from the you know the 80s to where we are today and now you just mentioned you're talking about a crossbows you you have one that shoot you have a number that shoot 400 uh plus feet a second you have a couple now in the crossbow world that shoot over 500 feet a second ain't that crazy yeah it's it's crazy in just 30 40 years how much the industry has changed when it comes to archery the innovation the creativity and then obviously for everything we're talking about, you need to be able to have that engineering behind it. You need to understand, you know, apply physics and things like that. So it's, it's absolutely crazy. I finally, um, talking about that axe crossbow, it's not just like on a compound bow. What I tell people is you can buy a 300 Ultramag, Okay. But if you shot a 55 grain bullet in it, uh, you probably don't need to be moose hunting with that. It's even in archery is even more specific. You cannot, like, I will tell you, I'm gonna, this has never been told before, ever. Tom Nelson signed Rage before I ever signed Paradigm. He came to me in Mexico, deer and javelina. Tom was shooting a Bowtech at the time. Single cam, probably IBO 305, 310. And I, I can just hold the arrow, dude. I've built so many arrows. I, I'm like, Tom, um, this is not going to jive. You don't have enough juice to push this broadhead through, maybe on Havelina. And I've talked to him on that hunt uh, in my 20s that he was not set up properly. And he ended up, same company, uh, I gave him some arrows that was 130, 40 grains heavier. And I and we come up on this bow a couple of rounds and I proved to him, he's like, you know something, I've been doing this a long time. I worked in lots of bow shops, but like, it's funny from people that have real world experience from actually seeing animal, arrow strike animals and blood. Look, if you're blood trailing in Mexico and it's 80 degrees, you better have snake boots on. I mean, that stuff is so thick, you can't crawl through it. Some of the grass is waist high. You don't even know what you're stepping on. And I'm looking for a 35-pound javelina that's one 100 yards. I didn't want to chase no javelina. I'm just being honest. But the point I'm making, the know how to pick the right equipment. And, like, there's no excuse anymore. Like, if you're not close to a knowledgeable bow hunter in a bow shop or go to Bass Pro and ask one of the hunting guys, get online, man. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff online. Listen to this podcast. Know how to set your air up. Like, I know that the PSE Bandit is absolutely, it's a pro series bow. It's absolutely the best bow in the world for a short draw bow hunter. I did not say it was a women's bow. I give more of them away a year to people. When we go into camp, they ask me for that bow more so than they do even the bows that I shoot. This got the yellow strings and the yellow handles and all this fancy, fancy. Uh, but the tide is turning. You remember the ball player, Will Clark. I yeah. just sent him a PSE bow. He's converted. He's got number 22 on his cam. So with Junie's bow in particular, 25-inch draw, 50 pounds, she shoots a 470-grain arrow. That's why. She gets a pass through on an elk, quarter to it, 40 yards. That's it. 
It's, it's, it's not just the boat. It's not just the broadhead. It's not just the arrow. It's not just this. It's a perfect combination of everything. That's why you don't buy a Snoopy fishing pole and put 50-pound catfish line on it and a 10-odd hook. It's that simple. But the muzzy acts. I want to say this because it's very important that I think that the no question in my mind that the triad is the best, Carbon Express triad is the best arrow ever been made. Period. I don't care what nobody says. That's it. I see animals die. All my people shoot them. I know what happens. Guess what? Bolt is on the muzzy axe. It is a triad. You have metal outsert with a metal post that's threaded. You glue all that up in a carriage in the back that's just like so. You cannot put that arrow in that bow wrong. It's consistency. Like with people's like, does it really matter how I turn my veins? Hey, Maybe you need to talk to some aerospace engineer from NASA. Here's what I'm going to tell you. My veins are always the same. No matter I have a drop away rest, here's what I think. I want my arrow to leave my bow exactly the same every single time. So if, if I'm shooting a four-fletch, which I did for years, and I'll say that with the AE hybrid vein, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't need quad steering because the reason I've done that is because I might switch from a I might switch from a fixed, a big cut fixed over to a mechanical. And I wanted to kind of know what my bow was doing. You know, like maybe I could shoot a shank or a trocar HP, but if I went to a muzzy one, 125 uh, inch and an eighth cut, maybe or inch and three sixteenths, maybe that's too much metal for the vein, blah, blah, blah. I have learned I picked up several inches of height at 100 yards when I'm shooting my bow. So flatter trajectory is important, especially when you're shooting a super heavy arrow. So that, look at the axe. Look, I'm stumping for my sponsors, but I can tell you this. I have fired gun manufacturers because the gun would not shoot. Everything that I've done in the times that I've moved from another bow manufacturer to this one, Sometimes it's not about me or them. It's about the direction that that company is going and the things that they do as far as their product may shift a manufacturing location. Just, just say it like that. And maybe I'm not the direction that they want, that their new management wants to head in. But currently, I'm comfortable. Uh, Pete. Shepley is an idol of mine. I think Pete has done more for archery as much as even Fred Bear. That's my take. Uh, one time, the marketing director at Bear Archery joked in an email and said, Big Man is the modern-day Fred Bear. No, I'm not. Not even a pimple on his ass. Excuse my French. I only want to deliver a message to young people. Uh, that dude is a legend. Pete Shepley is a legend. Uh, all I want to do is introduce my people, my dirt track racing fan, flat bottom boat, trot line running, uh, camp tent, pop a tent up, pull a RV. Uh, that's my guy. That's me. That's my people. That's where I come from. That's my family. And I want you guys to be able to afford and enjoy uh, the sport of archery because it's one of the greatest things in the world. My wife is one of the best hunters I've ever met. She also is one of the best archery shots you'll ever see. Uh, I have been blessed. And 
but she's a bow hunter. She loves guns and she will uh, use one if she needs to. And she, we hunt, uh, you know, we, we are sponsored by Mossberg and Crimson Trace. And I mean, we hunt, this is what our family does. We process 20, 30 deer a year, but uh, we are archers. That's our foundation. That's the way we raise our kids. That's what we do. And uh, I, I tell you what, man, I feel like that uh, I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. Um, I know for sure that my career has not uh, progressed because I am a better bow shot than everybody else, or I am a better rifle shot than anybody else. It's true that it's it's simply um, audio and video. It's voice. Uh, it's entertainment. I don't reshoot anything ever. I'm a one taker. If I make a mistake, I'm going to show you that mistake. And I'm also going to tell you, don't ever make that mistake. I just did that. Don't do that. And, and give up that chance of a lifetime at your Kansas wife that walks under your tree stand. And I told you to let the deer walk past and then whistle or grunt. I will tell you, don't ever grunt at a big mature deer, deer in the rut that walks past your stand from above him because he will bolt. It's happened to me a bunch of times. I've seen on camera, the juries, here comes the big buck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He stops right there. They kill him. Well, I'm glad that it works for them because it damn sure don't work for me. So that is, uh, that's my take, man. We, you know, we all have our own little quirks. And so question for you, what broadhead do you shoot for Muzzy? Um, I, for, for Muzzy, I've shot, I shot the trocar. Um, I also shoot, uh, you were talking earlier about the rage. I'll shoot the, the rage, the hyperdermic tripan. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Good broadhead. I'm, going on a, I'm going on a bear hunt, uh, in a couple of weeks, actually at the end of this week, I'm going to be shooting the, uh, the QAD Exodus. So, um, much like you, I like to make sure that I have a good setup for what I'm going for. No. Now, obviously, bears, well, while they can sometimes seem big and opposing, they don't have a really tough um, structural system. You know, it, no. you can penetrate that hide pretty easy. So Don't I, hit the shoulder, buddy. I like that. Yep. I know. If you, it's all about, hey, when it comes down to it, really, we, we can talk about all the different nuances and broadheads and things like that. Yeah. It really comes down to that shot placement. So, I'm you know, I think like, I'm going to say this to you because you're going bear hunting. I, but I, I, I've shot a lot of bears in Canada and with a bow. and. I think what happens, like, just think about a pig or a deer or an elk. You actually, even in low light, you can see that leg. Yeah. That bear has so much hair. Like, when you say, okay, I drew back and I was, you know, I, I, I knew to aim like three, four fingers off the crease. You know, I'd stay yeah. off that shoulder. You know, but you, I think sometimes, especially on a cold black bear, it's really hard to see that definite leg. I'm saying that to you from experience because I shot a bear on my very first trip to Canada in the shoulder and it did not kill him. And that was a, that was a traumatizing, horrible experience. Uh, and then over the years, I met guys that bear hunted and they shot 50 bears with a bow, recurve, everything. And they always told me four fingers off that crease. If you think that's the crease, move anyway, move back anyway. And dude, honestly, now with the technology and the bows and the arrows and the broadheads and the blade sharpness, 
Like that's the thing about the Muzzy Shank and the Muzzy Broadheads. They have perfected uh, the sharpening art. Like we change the grind, width, angle, thickness of blade, angle of blade. And that's why that thing zips right through everything. Like it's, we are very fortunate today that we have the technology and the equipment that we do. So that was my point that that hair seems to like blend everything together. And if it's a huge bear and they're in tall grass, you can't even see the belt. So it's just, it's really hard to kind of catch that, that off, you know, that inside, that entrance leg and that off leg. So anyway, my two cents. No, and I appreciate that. You know, we've, we've, we've gone a little and talked about some of the other different game you hunt. We talked about elk, talked about bear. Um, Obviously, you're 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 incredibly well known for your hog hunting. What's your second favorite thing to hunt? If you had to pick a second animal, what do you love pursuing? Other than a hog, right? Yeah, other than hogs. Hold on just a second as I move this camera. African bush pig. It is the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. It is almost like a cartoon. Like somebody has took this potion. And uh-huh. injected it into one of our hogs and made the super hog because that's what they are. They eat meat. They are way faster, way keener, and 99.9% nocturnal. Those two right there was killed on camera in the daylight uh-huh. by my wife. I have not shot one that big. I have shot one weighed 80 pounds. Uh, and I've learned humbled she humbled me because i am a running gunner i am that deer is there and i know he's there and when this wind is this i'm going to take this ground blind and i'm going to march right in there i'm going to spray it down i'm going to brush it in i'm going to clip just enough out of a window that my arrow will clear the blind and i'm going to kill this deer that's the kind of guy i am i don't sit back with the spot and scope and look at it and say ah Maybe that tree. Ah, maybe that tree. I go right at it. You cannot do that with a bush pig. She shot the first one out of a tree setup. Yeah. Uh, walked in in the broad daylight. Went 20 yards, fell over dead. Uh, two years later, fast forward, she's after a blue docker. Pretty certain no females ever killed a blue docker. She had two of them in front of her. And sitting there, the cameraman's looking at her like, oh, hello. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? Thing is about her, she never puts her bow down. It's right here. She sets behind the strings. All she has to do is hook the release and draw. And that's why she killed them two pigs. And I don't have one that big, but I'm proud of her. Um, she's, uh, she's one of the, one of the best with the, with the bow there is. And, uh, she teaches, she's a good role model for youngsters, you know, coming up that you don't just because you're five foot two, and you can only shoot 50 pounds and your draw is only 25 inches, that don't take you out of the game. That does not take you out of the game. That is like, I can have Justin send you guys some clips. Like she is like the black widow, dude. Like if she gets drawn back on it, call the taxidermist. It's about to be a done deal. But we're blessed because the bandit is specifically her boat. That's the, she has a contract with PSE for that particular boat. Uh, same with Muzzy, same with Carbon Express. And and what I've noticed lately uh, is like the interest in her is it's coming from different directions. Like, so 
I am pleased with that because I think that that is promoting uh, archery in our space for women. And uh, she does a very good job with that. And I'm, I'm blessed. We, we're blessed with three great children. Uh, we, we're lucky, man. But the bush pig, that's, uh, whew, yeah, that's my, that's my stuff right there, man. There's, I, and I've shot some. And if you, if you are a fan of the show and you've watched the show, I use bush pigs being shot with a bow on my intro to my show. That is right after my wreck. When I was trying to, my eye had not went, I was dominant right eye. Lost vision in my right eye. My left eye went dominant. But this was prior to my left eye going dominant. And I could stand up. And, and Christian, Bird, the editor, like yes. he came down and he's like, I could shoot standing up like on fire. But then if if I get in a, a situation where maybe I have to crouch down a little bit or, you know, you know, the guy in the tree stand, you got to do this, bend at the place. Like I wasn't, it was, every, I was shooting everything high. I don't know why. And so fixed it. The Acubo side, which right in the lock. I'm telling you, that's it. They, I got to deal, I got to deal with them, yes. Uh, I can't even put gas in my truck for what they pay me. But I'm telling you, it's the best bow side on the market. Like micro pin, super adjustment, that retina lock technology, if you use the bubble, at the bottom, and you use the retina lock. It just basically what it's done, dude, is like you think of me as an average archer, above average archer. Like I don't know you, so what do you think of me? What would you say? Obviously, you have years and years of experience, and you're really dedicated. I think the thing that impressed me, you had mentioned as we were just talking now about the accident. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It was like 2013 or 2014. You yep. had to learn everything anew, more or less. You had to learn to shoot with your other eye. You had, you had to come up with a, a special sight. That's incredible yep. for you to overcome all of those hurdles. So you've had to deal with things that most archers never had to deal with. And that's what impresses me the most. You're talking about... Some incredible, I'll be honest, physical and mental challenges that you had to overcome. You know, man, like uh, people are asking me that all the time. Like I, there is a how to to do it. Uh, I went from, OK, I'm going to do this. And then I shorten the bow half an inch. So the string comes around in front of my mm -hmm. face more. I changed the way my release is set up. So it allows that string to come around a little bit more. And I don't. Always have put my nose on the string, but now my nose goes there. And when I'm shooting a lot, I actually take my fingernail and I'll just scratch my nose. So it's got a little, like it's tender. Uh -huh. And then I know when I hit that spot and I, I tie a knot on my string and I leave a, a burn a point. So that point sticks me right on the nose. And, but I tried left handed. I shot a bow for so long that I could not overcome it. It's like, I could draw back, but it's like, it don't feel like I'm in the kill mode. It feels like I'm in the target archery mode. So I, I went back to right hand and I got to be honest. My whole point of all of this was the IQ bow site with retina lock technology allows me to be at the very top of the game. Some people will tell you Rob Koppel, Lancaster Archery. Ask him and Levi Morgan are friends. I shot a commercial with Levi. Levi had never shot with me before. Rob Koffel told Levi, 
in a in a trick shot type scenario with unknown distances and moving targets, you better not play with big man or you will lose. So it's just because like I and I didn't know Levi, but I do now. And I could he invited me to do an archery uh challenge type thing here in uh-huh. uh in Texas and be on his team. And like I, I had stuff with the kids, I couldn't do it, but I really hate that I couldn't yeah. do that. Levi is Levi is great for this sport. Uh, I appreciate what he does, and uh, he is an amazing athlete. You know, I had to overcome some physical stuff. It was hard for me at first to shoot left eye without an eye patch. Yeah. I have since – it's hard for me to explain. I have peripheral vision on the edges. So I can cover this eye, and I can see this phone, but nothing here. Nothing to the left at all, but I have it out to about right here. Now, I could see somebody walk up. I can hold my hand there. If you was holding your fingers up, it'd be really hard for me to count them. Uh, but what I've learned now also is the latest hurdle. I'll throw this out there because this might help someone. That's left eye dominant that I've said, use your left eye, shorten your bow half an inch, use this sight. Put the sight on this. If you're facing my bow, my arrow's pointing at you. My my sight is now on the the inside of the riser, and it has an inch an inch and an eighth shim that is that far off the riser, and that allows me to get the middle of my my left and right uh, windage. So use an eye patch because what I've learned, thinking back on the last couple of seasons struggling to find that pin out of a ground blind, like from the dark out into the light. Uh, somehow, because of the loss of vision in this eye, it radiates almost like a glow, like of ambient light, like the worst, the worst design ever in a ground blind is anything from this up. You are shooting maybe at 60 yards. You need just enough room for your arrow to clear the bottom of the window and your sight to be on the animal. Everything up here in that triangle, everything above that is all light coming in. And that's what lights your body up. And yeah. I've learned, I just carry a black sheet and uh, pins and I'll pin it up and I'll make my own windows. So, but I learned that if I'm really having trouble and I'm trying to get that pin right on that spot, I close this right eye. And it lets that pin get super clear. Like, so I'm getting some light in from this side. So I don't want to wear an eye patch all the time, but at least I've identified it. And I, I, I can close this eye at will and really, and you know, and it's really dialing in. So that's helped me some uh, recently. That's, that's the last change that I've made that's made it work for me. So, yeah, man, I don't think I ever had that mental thing. Like, um, you mentioned that, and I don't honestly can tell you, it just made me mad. Like, all I could think of is, I mean, how come it couldn't have been this high? You know, I mean, I I mean, you know, and, but here's the deal. My dad was driving. Had he been in the passenger seat at his age, probably would have killed him. So I had 11 skull fractures, multiple ribs broke. I was in bad shape and uh, I have a good family. I have a good wife. Was not my wife at the time, but is now. 
you can see why. Um, she got me through it, man. And that's that's honest God truth, and uh, the love for my son. You, if you, you're if you're down and out, no matter what you're in, you ain't got to be a bow hunter. You ain't got to be a hunter. You ain't got to be nothing but a banker or a hairdresser. If you're down and out, focus on your family and the people that love you. Um, it's that never changes. You know that it never does. So that's that's what drove me, and not wanting to fail. I didn't want to lose everything that I had built just because of a car wreck. I didn't lose a limb. Uh, my legs are fine. You know, I'm 49, got a little arthritis in the knee, might limp a little bit, but uh, that knee will work if I need it to work. If I have to eject the scene from a charging bear, this old knee will start working real quick. But just giving you some, I've been through probably a lot more than most TV hosts. And people that do this for a living. So I'm just trying to share with if if I have people come up to me just did at an event, and the dude's like, dude, like I was done. Like I and like I, I started watching you, and I go back online and I find these episodes on myoutdoortv.com, and I'm like, wow, like if that dude can do that, and then here the guy standing right here, you know, I can do that. And that story. Bunches of times, bunches of times. So, and uh, the kids, the kids, that's one of my, the, and they seem every year they get smaller. I don't know why. I, I, I think maybe because younger kids are getting on the phone and they, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing big man and they're watching and they're, they're little girls that's three and four years old, little boys that's three and four years old. It's just, it's humbling to say the least. Yeah. You, you, and you talked about something that really resonated with me as, as you were going through everything in the years following the accident. It's the power uh, and the love for family, how how important that is in getting through everything. Uh, I know you've got to run here, so I have one yeah. last question for you. What's your most hair raising or your most memorable experience when you've been hog hunting? Is there something that immediately comes to mind where it just jumps right back in your mind when somebody asked you that, uh, where it was a close encounter or you went, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, yes, it actually is funny. Uh, and it's all over the internet. So get people that are listening to the podcast today, uh, you just put in pig man, pig charge and several things will come up. I actually, you, you've been in the game long enough to remember the Eastmans that own Carbon Express. Uh, the little brother, uh, it was Rob and Eric. That's him. Uh, he was down hunting with me, and he shot this pig the night before. And I said, okay, I'll be back down tomorrow, and uh, I'll, I will just leave it alone. Don't. It's bad in that area where you're going. You're going to run him in the creek. He's going to get full of you know, washed off with water, going through the creek, we're not going to find me. Go the next day, this pig ain't far from where he shot him. Right through the guts, grass acting. And I, I ease him in there, and I'm thinking, I better take a pistol. So the only thing I got, I I run into some shady character in town, let's just say that. And I bought a nine millimeter pistol from this dude, and I had it in my truck. Well, at the time, I drove a truck that had a console. You could hit a button, and the thing would lift up, and it had two Smith & Wesson 500s in it. Well, the button wouldn't work. So I'm thinking, what gun? I'm like, what the hell? I'm trying to pry it open. I need a gun. So I'm like, okay, I'll just take this. I had like 
I don't know, a full clip of a ball of ammo. So I put it in my belt. We ease up in there. There's the pig. Pig's kind of like not moving. He don't think we see him. I said, okay, I'm going to make him stand up. You go to full draw. I'm going to make him stand up. I said, it's 25 yards. When he stands up, give it to him. Okay. And wouldn't move. I stepped on a limb, snapped a limb. Pig stood up. Almost shot through the same exact hole. I kid you not. And here goes the pig. So I shoot him. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know if I hit him. So him and my cameraman are going after the pig. And I think I know where he's going to cross the creek. So I kind of faded to the right to cut him off. So they start hollering, he's over here, he's over here. So I turn and I come back to the left and I walk. I ran right in between the pig and them because I couldn't see where they was. And my cameraman's like, he's, Eric's got a hold of my cameraman's backpack. And he's like, I'm trying to film. And Matt knows, my cameraman knows. I told him this years ago, the safest place to be with that camera is behind me. Uh, and he's never forgot that. And that pig came straight away, man, on the dead line. As soon as I got my feet planted, uh, and as I was running in, I, I, I grabbed the gun, I had it ready, and I turned to my right, and this pig's coming straight on. And, I mean, I dumped the clip. Like, I, I'm thinking, I've never shot this pistol before. I don't know where it's hitting, which is dumb. You, If you don't remember, before you do that, check your pistol and know because a lot of short barrel compact handguns do not shoot exactly where you think they're going to shoot. You have to micro adjust things and use a little punch and move front sights over. Anyway, this pig came straight away. I basically went straight Tupac on him. And the last couple of shots, I domed him. Like, and he just fell over dead, and I just kind of dumped the clip. I'm like, I was jacked. Uh, that was close, I, but I have been run over by pigs. So, like, that was one of the most memorable because it, like, went viral uh, on social media. And But I, that's kind of been my thing over the years. I kind of get a kick out of uh, making them charge you because they really don't want to get you. They want to get 80%, you know, 80% to you, and they want to dodge yeah. one way or the other. Uh, now you stick an air in one, uh, or you put a dog on him and he feels cornered, then he's going to get you. But if he's got a way to go other than over the top of you, that's most of the time where they're going to go. They don't come in your house and kill your dog and eat your dog and your kids. That's lies. And, uh, they're scared of you as you are of them. And, uh, it's cool, but that's one of the closest hunting line with the bow. Almost stepped on him. Was in, yeah, and my cameraman's tapping me on the shoulder, and I'm about to turn around and give him a cuss. Like, idiot, what are you doing? And he's like, it's right here. He's got the shotgun mic and the earphones on. He's like, it's right here. So we event, we uh, immediately, 90 degrees right. And, I mean, that thing, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, thrown out of an airboat. Uh, almost crashed a helicopter. Uh, so... I tell people this all the time, and I'm not kidding. Figure you got nine lives. I got uh, seven of them are burnt. So <laughs> it's uh, we're, we're we're grinding down to the end. But I ain't scared. Uh, I I want to show people what the experience is all about and what might or might not happen. Uh, I love gun hunting. I am a gun guy. I'm an archer. Uh, so is my wife, Judy. Uh, we are archery people at heart. We support. Uh, everything that's going on in archery. I, I'm glad that it's growing. We need another big insurge 
uh, yeah. kind of like Hunger Games, kind of brought to us. Yeah, we need another little. We need another push uh, into the space. But it's if there are people out there, it's not just about bow hunting. It's you need to actually go shoot a bow into a target. And if if hunting is your thing, then gear yourself up for that situation. But just popping a few arrows off in the backyard in a good old block target, uh, you, I can remember over the last 15 years at 20 events I've been to, and all the kids were giggling and laughing and having fun. It's maybe your child is not the golf player, the baseball player, the basketball, the football guy. That's okay. That's okay. Teach them archery. They are actually college scholarships for archery. There are companies like PSE, Faradine, uh, Lancaster Archery, Bass Pro Cabela's that supports our industry in this space for archery. Look there, grab that, and take a shot. Because anybody, anybody can be a good archer. Yeah. And you know, that's a great way to wrap up. Take some time, introduce the next generation to archery. Yes. Bow hunting. It's something you can do your entire life from when you're young um, to when you're uh, well into your more advanced years. And it's something that you can become very passionate about. Um, and it just becomes a way of life. And Brian, I want to thank you for taking so much time to be on the podcast yeah, man. with us today. Obviously, you can check out the Pigman series on uh, our Sportsman channel. But Brian, yep. thank you so much. And if you're looking for a, a, a drill, if you're an avid bow hunter looking for something to do in the summer, actually any time of the year, check out Wild Hog Hunting. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. See you, dude. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.